0: Buried in the episode that's coming up, I get fired up. I didn't expect to get fired up. I don't get fired up very much. I'm a robot. Uh, but I get fired up. Um, and also in reaction to an article I came across, um, which is a very social media media-ish type thing to do, you know, to read something and react to it, you know, so. Um, it's not my game normally, you know, uh, but, I, well, as I think about it, I didn't react to what he was saying, in fact, I, uh, I agreed with what he was saying. The subject was that people shouldn't climb Uluru, and... Um, it's an interesting sort of fire up that I did because I actually agree with him. He was saying that people shouldn't climb Uluru when the Anangu people of that, you know, um, traditional owners uh, have respectfully asked people not asked people not to climb it. And this person argues that therefore you shouldn't climb it. I've chatted about Uluru before, but I like chatting about Uluru right, because famous, and it's a a natural wonder of the world, I think it's one of the seven natural wonders of the world, I don't know who votes for those, Uh, now, um, so I get fired up, but if I agree with this guy, then how do I get fired up, you know, because I don't think that happens on social media much, where someone agrees with another person, and what they're saying, uh, and, and what they're saying, and then gets angry at them, um, um, but I do in the coming episode. And it's because of the way he, the way he puts it. And, and maybe it's not so unusual for that to happen. I remember Ben Elton in some book or other, I don't read books anymore, those days are gone. I, number one, I don't have time. Uh, if I was going to read a book, I'd listen to it as I'm driving around. The only time I get to myself is when I'm driving around. Right so, um, I remember Ben Elton, who is, um, oh, look, he's progressive and all that sort of stuff, um, in a way that I like, you know, I love Blackadder and all that sort of stuff, and the messages in Blackadder and other things that Ben Elton writes in his books, for example, right, and, um, and, you know, he's an activist, I think, Ben Elton, in his own way, um, And I suppose I'm not, you know, the way I do these podcasts. But he's trying to push certain ideas, and I'm not trying to push any ideas. I'm just exploring ideas, which is slightly different. Um, But Ben Elton said, the worst thing is, if, is that, let's say, if you're a left-winger, for example, or a right-winger, if you're a left-wing activist or a right-wing activist, um, sometimes the worst possible thing is when other left if you're a left-wing uh, left wing activist, are doing it wrong, right? So, people who are on your side, let's say you're a socialist, and to use Ben Elton's term, not my own term, because I'm so, you know, I speak with lovely language, <laughs> um, Ben Elton said, you know, imagine you're a socialist, uh, but you know another socialist who's a wanker. Okay? That sort of thing. Yeah. Other people who are doing it wrong. So I suppose it would be common. So maybe I'm not doing something any different than a lot of people have done. And I can imagine this is the case with revolutionaries. Yes, that that will be... You know, um, I spent a lot of... Yeah, you know, I haven't even mentioned in all these podcasts the Spanish revolution. I spent a lot of time listening to podcasts on that. I got fascinated by the Spanish revolution. Uh, and now... Um, uh, the one, you know, the one that happened when Napoleon came and took Spain. Um, and, and that was an interesting one because that was, um, you know, the Spanish had all these colonies in South America. Most of South America locked up, you know, except for Brazil, and a few islands up, you know, the Caribbean. Um, but they had most of America, uh, South America, you know, pushing right up into modern... Um, Los Angeles, uh, uh, California, um, and Texas, and all that sort of stuff, all that was Spanish, you know, Spanish colonies, just like uh, Australia was an English colony, Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, so, at the same time, so, um, and then, but imagine if, you know, the Australian colonies in the early 1800s, imagine if, England had gotten knocked off by Napoleon. And then you've got um, Australia over here, uh, which is a, a monarchy at the time, uh, you know, a constitutional monarchy even back then. We were a constitutional monarchy even back then, but you know, uh, not an independent nation, but we were still Britain. But we were a constitutional monarchy and a colony, and suddenly uh, the king, you know, the monarchy had got knocked off interesting constitutionally, um, I, I think that would have been easy enough to understand though, kind of, Napoleon would have suddenly been in charge of Australia too, but what happened in Spain is uh, that the colonies, you know, the Spanish colonies, um, suddenly realised there was a bit of a um, doubtful monarchy back there. They were reporting to a monarchy that didn't exist, you know, and they didn't quite come at the idea that Napoleon was the replacement monarch. And um, they thought, Here's, well, what do we do? We go independent. There's the Spanish. There's your Spanish Revolution. You know, so maybe Australia would have done the same thing if Napoleon. Oh no, we were too, we we were too small, maybe, politically, to do that. You know, Napoleon comes in, takes over England, which he very much could have done but for Waterloo and all that uh, and uh, Napoleon comes in uh, England's gone you know and um, and then we're sitting here in Australia saying oh dear England's gone you know what are we going to do you know we, uh, dispatches and uh, we've got two choices we either start speaking French or break away okay maybe we would have broken away who knows uh, but it's an interesting but, um, what was I talking about I got off the track there, obviously uh no, what I was talking about was um yeah there there, there there's a long history amongst revolutionaries, yeah you know, of infighting where one everyone wants the same thing, but one revolutionary doesn't like. The way the other revolutionary is doing it, and you have huge power battles within the revolution, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. So I suppose it is common what I'm doing. All right, there's a revolution on, and right now, um, and you know, European Australia is, um, a, you know, a, a racist, terrible place. And um, Michael Bradley and I are leading a revolution to stop the Europeans who are desperately wanting to climb Uluru because European Australians have no respect for Indigenous culture, you know, because they are, they're all racist. I've had people saying that, you know, except for a very few, all Australians are racist, okay. And obviously that means they all want to, you know, most of them want to climb Uluru. 90%, Ninety percent, I think I've heard the term. Ninety percent of Australians are racist. I've heard. Um, uh, well, now that's interesting because under Australian law, um, it's going to become unlawful very soon, October twenty sixth of this year, to climb Uluru. That means um, that all of Australia is going to, as a you know, as a collective. Obviously with people grumbling, but as a, as a group, we are going to stop climbing the rock. Now that is voluntarily, as a collective, we are going to stop climbing the rock. Which makes us sound a little bit... You know, we're still horrible people, but you wouldn't have got that in the ancient world, would you? Um, where Rome took over, um some other area you know and that other you know other culture took rome took over some other culture and that other culture was powerless you know in all real terms powerless and then that other culture um arthur said listen you know this is the the greatest natural wonder in the entire roman empire is ours so can you not go can you not go near it and then Augustus Caesar says, okay, all right, I'll make that a law. And then all the Romans don't go near it. Did that sort of thing happen in ancient Rome? Um, yeah. See, you can debate these things forever. Um, maybe it did happen. I don't know. Now I'm thinking of the, the temple in Jerusalem. You know, maybe the Romans did respect that on a religious level, um, which they did before, um, Hadrian uh, went down there and, s- and completely levelled the joint. Um, Alright. Um, there you go. Alright. Yeah. Isn't that, you know, I'm saying we're lovely compared to the Romans. <laughs> Put that on your CV, Australia. <laughs> Did the Ethiopians The Aksumite kingdom, the Aksumite empire, when it went to Khartoum, the Kush people, and completely levelled that joint down to its stumps, completely smashed that mob. Uh, Did they show much respect? The records are thin on the ground. But this guy, uh, and I know now his name is Michael Bradley, Um, he um, was just, there was something about the way he was um, going about um, telling everybody off (laughs) for their behaviors. Um, There was something about the way he did that, that got my goat. (laughs) And, um, so I get fired up. But not fired up like you would be used to if you're on social media. For example, I don't swear. (laughs) And I don't get passionate. And, um, yeah, and my emotions don't change. So is that sort of fired up or not fired up? But I'm a robot. So that, for me, that's fired up. So, you know, if you can imagine someone who can get fired up without their, um, their heartbeat altering whatsoever. That's kind of me. Um, okay, now, um, so what is it about this guy? Yeah, he he um, he didn't have the vague way of speaking that I've got, which probably makes him a lot more attractive to listen to. There's nothing worse than someone who's vague, you know, like I am. I can't stand that. <laughs> right, now, um, so, um, yeah, he's straight, he's to the point, and he gives everyone a lecture, that's what he does, he gives everybody a huge lecture on their behaviour with respect to respecting indigenous culture, alright, um, my, uh, heartbeat didn't change there, uh, that's how I talk when I'm, I've got my podcast voice on, right, so um, it gives everyone a huge lecture, and I guess I've got a problem with people who give huge lectures. Maybe I got too many lectures as a child. You know, um, we used to get lectures. My cousins and I, from our mothers. You know, our mothers are uh, the cousins I'm talking about. Are, um, there were ten of us. You know, um, and our mothers. I've got other cousins as well. I've got more cousins than you can poke a stick at but, um, the cousins we used to hang with all the time, our mothers were twins, and, and they still are, (laughs) and they would give us lectures, you know, and we would kind of have the attitude, listen, could you just give us the strap instead? (laughs) People say corporal punishment is bad, but oh my goodness, you know, I like the strap compared to a lecture. And therein lies my problem with Michael Bradley. Come on, Michael Bradley, just come and hit me. <laughs> yeah, can you grab a two x four, a four x two plank of wood, walk straight up with it up to me, um, take a big swing and just smack me across the face instead of giving me a lecture, you know? Um, and you know what, Michael Bradley, I agree with you. This is the problem. You're killing me, you know that sort of thing. Um, just, all right. So that, that's my problem. And, and, um, and whenever anybody gives a strident lecture to someone, I don't know if strident is the word, um, you always have this uncomfortable feeling that, you know, you leave yourself open to um, accusations of hypocrisy. You know? If you're too strong in your lecturing of other people on their behaviours towards Indigenous people and you are in European Australia... Uh, Australian, you know, because this Michael Bradley, it turns out, um, just looking at him, I know I shouldn't do that, but he just looks like a pasty-faced Anglo Celt like me, and just in the way he speaks, everything about him, you know, um, screams, you're like me, Michael Bradley, you're just like me, <laughs> I can tell, and uh, and he's about my age too. His, his profile is... He probably was in my class at school. You know, he seems like me. And you leave yourself open to hypocrisy uh, accusations. Um, because, um, and I, I learnt this in the previous episodes, I've left the whole um, black-white racism type stuff, you know, that uh, that's all in a bubble in the previous episodes. Uh, I had a little set of episodes there. Um, but, um... You know, you when Michael Bradley is giving everyone a lecture in the in the foregoing this episode coming up, uh, I'm thinking, and ju- it's the way he's giving the lecture too, that you know that he's in disbelief. You know, uh, yeah, I try to be empathetic. He said to the way other people think, but other people are so disrespectful of Aboriginal culture that leaves me speechless and I, uh, you know, I try and I try and I try, you know, but everybody seems to get me down, you know. Um, I try and I try and I try, he says in this um, article coming up and remember, I agree with what he's saying. Um, I try but I am left shaking my head at these imbeciles. these banal, small-minded, ignorant, um, petty, you know, thinkers, you know, non-thinkers. You know. He's got that sort of attitude. And I'm sort of thinking, you're like me, you know? If you're gonna use such strong language, lecturing people, I don't mind getting that lecture from an indigenous person, to tell the truth, uh, but, um, but are you shu- I'd love to check out your finances you know, how much you've benefited from white privilege. And depending on one's definition of racist, I am rather certain, having done a huge investigation into the possible definitions of racism, by inference, you know, in in my previous episodes, having really sort of wandered about um, having a think about all the different types of racism there are in the world, And, you know, racism could be enjoying white privilege and not really doing a lot about it. You know, know, giving lectures to everybody. But I'd love to check out your kitchen at at your home. Did you just buy a new kitchen, Michael Bradley? I don't know whether he did or not, you know. um, What sort of car have you got, you know? um, Did you buy the cheapest car on the market so that you could pile the... So you could pour the difference between the cost of that car and a let's say a mid-range sedan into indigenous communities, did you? Now I don't expect people to do that sort of thing, but all I'm saying is that if you're going to lecture people with such sort of um, sort of um, stuffy, sort of superior language, you open yourself up. I'd love to do a hypocrisy test on Michael Bradley only because he gave me a lecture and I have psychologically not got over the fact that I used to get too many lectures from you mum <laughs> when I was a kid about being a nicer person. Character building. My mum used to call it you need character building, son. <laughs> was channelling uh, my mum's father, you know, my grandfather there, more than channelling my mum's son, you know, uh, he used to, you know, he, he he was a man of, you know, relatively few words, uh, but every word mattered, and uh, I'm a man of many words, uh, and he would say things like... The thing you have to understand about Labour... Oh, no, that's not his accent. The thing you have to understand about Labour is they're all communists. And that would be it. (laughs) The end of the debate. What more can you say? With this episode... I'm getting myself back on track. I started off this podcast talking about Indigenous Australia, mainly. Because I like talking about that. Uh, I like the idea, I'm not pushing for it, I like the idea of European Australia Trying to get together with Indigenous Australia to create a better Australia, but am I pushing for that? No, I'm not an activist. In fact, I'm going to do nothing to, uh, in, you know, to, I'm going to do nothing to aid that process. Nothing at all. Okay, I just like it in principle and I like talking about it, but I don't want to actually do anything about it. In fact, I think it might be, you know, look, the wheels are in motion on that front already. There's stuff all over the news at the moment, and people are arguing all the various pros and cons far better than I could. Um, And there are indigenous people uh, putting forward their proposals, um, including the first indigenous person uh ever to um be elected as an MP in our federal parliament and um and he's a cabinet minister as well which is huge. Um liberal. Uh, he's a liberal. You know. We've discussed what a liberal is, you know. In Australia it's a conservative. Alright now uh <laughs> I, I, you know, I know someone well, my G D who's been listening to a lot of um, YouTube clips from America, and with amusement, um, she and I have remarked how it's just absolutely assumed that liberal means left-wing um, in on the internet, in the internet world. But in Australia, that's not necessarily the case, nowhere near it. In fact, it's more likely to mean... We call that small-l liberal in Australia, but... Even just the word liberal by itself, unless you actually say the words small l, liberal, you know, if if you're saying the word liberal, if you just say liberal, um, that's likely to mean right-wing in Australia. You know, centre-right, you know, in most people's minds, unless they listen to a lot of YouTube clips from America, you know, and where it's likely to mean left-wing, okay? But it's... So we have this term small l liberal you know um, and that kind of means american style liberal you know in the vernacular vernacular but it's i just i did check the dictionary and um, it's the it's the last listed possible meaning for liberal in australia last listed most likely meaning. For the word "liberal" in Australia, there are eleven other meanings that come before it. Okay, um, and and most of those meanings can apply to both the left wing and the right wing. I'm checking yourself. Read. You've got to look up. The, it's the Macquarie, uh, the Macquarie dictionary. Uh, don't go looking up um, a dictionary online because you, that's that's going to be an American definition. Uh, this is the problem with people using the internet as a sole resource, you know They might look up dictionary meaning, you know online, and they'll just get the American meaning, which is not our meaning at all yeah. um, Our meaning of liberal uh, Pretty much the first 11 meanings of liberal, you know, around about as far as I can tell, of the first 11 meanings of the word liberal in our dictionary, um, let's see, seven would apply to both the left wing and the right wing, you know, liberal and labour, you know, liberal being our right wing and left being, uh, labour being our left wing, so to speak, um, seven, uh, what did I say, eleven? 8, 9, 10. Two definitely apply to just our Liberal Party, which is kind of the centre-right political party. That's 8, 9. And the other two kind of apply to both as well. There you go, 10, 11. And and the last one is just a little nod of the head to acknowledge the fact that these days... um, Since America has started uh, calling the left wing, referring to its left wing, which is kind of the Democrats over there, as liberals, since America started doing that, because America didn't even used to do that itself, you know, even itself did not refer to um, the left wing as liberals early in American history, it's only sort of, I don't know when it started over there, Um, but um, that's that, all right? I always say that's that when I've just run out of things to say. Right. This episode gets me back on track, though. And it is a a return to Indigenous Australia. Um, I, I, I got distracted for a little while. I got distracted and started talking about what I called... Naz and Biggles, and that went for a whole 11 episodes, I think, where I got distracted and talked about that, but now I've come back to what I was talking about before I got distracted with a series of episodes called Naz and Biggles, you know, and I'm back to what I was talking about before, and that was Indigenous Australia, so I'm continuing on there. Now, in the following, the foregoing, in the following, um, I um, am getting to know Indigenous Australia, a little more, because that's one of my aims to get to know it a little bit more. Because I've got this gut feeling that, in principle, I'd like Australia. I'd like to see it happen that Australia becomes something so uh, something like a, an honest uh, marriage between European Australia and Indigenous Australia in the first instance. Okay, my mum would rather Europeans just got the hell out of Australia and leave it to the indigenous people, you know? And I've got a a sister-in-law who would like humans to get off the planet altogether and leave it to the environment, you know, because the humans are a plague, and I think she's right, okay? So that's the way it works. Um, So there's all sorts of perspectives, you know? If you're a humanist, you wouldn't like my sister-in-law because she thinks humans aren't very nice. And if you're a humanist, humanist, you're all for humans, at a guess. Um, is, that, is that the way humanism works? <laughs> okay. Um, how would you feel if you're a humanist? If all humanists, if all humans went extinct, okay? I don't know what the humanist point of view on that is, but I know environmentalists, if they're really into the environment, would see the extinction of humans to be. I have a huge positive, you know, the same sort of positive that would come about if rabbits and cats um, went extinct in Australia. You yeah. know, my sister-in-law I think would love it if cats went extinct in Australia because um, they kill birds. And the birds are pretty defenceless, defenceless, you know, um, our Australian birds. All right, so that's that. Um, yes. Um, so I yes, with this episode, I return to Indigenous Australia. Now, I liked in you know in the previous episodes about Indigenous Australia before Naz and Beagles, <laughs> um, I I liked yeah. You know, I get my little pet examples, and one of the pet examples I liked from the previous episodes on Indigenous Australia was the one about. You know, whether people should climb the rock or not. That's Uluru, the biggest rock in the world, above ground. Um, And the best rock. What a great looking rock as well, you know. Um, So I like talking about that. So I'll probably repeat myself and chat about that. But every time I repeat myself, I chat about it in a slightly different way. And in that way, I develop my thinking for myself. And you sort of think, well, what benefit for me then as the listener? Well, no benefit. I'm not trying to give you you a benefit. I'm trying to give myself a benefit. I'm think, This is me thinking aloud for myself, and it's not for the listener. Why are you doing it on... Why are you even speaking it online? Because I just feel like it, you know. I kind of think, you know, there's about five people I can think of who I would like... You know, who I think will end up listening to this, you know, including my three children. Um... No one, not even them, you know, they're not going to listen to all of it, they'll just hear little bits of it, you know, but they'll get bored pretty quickly, even when they're grown up. Now, um, so, two things um, I noticed about the following episode, because I've already spoken it into my phone as I was driving to work this morning, uh, two things I noticed about the episode that's coming up, yes, I chat again about the, the pros and cons, not exactly even the pros and cons, but the the, um, issues around climbing the rock, and, um, because, and why did I even get onto that? Because it was in the news this morning. Um, geez, very quickly I should see, because I'm parked waiting for a daughter to come out. Um... Whether it just pops up on my phone because I might even read it if I see it, but it probably won't come up. And the other thing I, I, um, the only other, and the other thing I'm talking about when I get back to Indigenous Australia is I have a method in that madness. i um, in principle, as I say, and I'm repeating myself, but that's how I think. You know, and once I say something to myself once, you know, it seems to be true. But if I say it three times, it's really it, it starts to become solid in my head. Right. Um, in principle, I'd like to see Australia become a manage, uh, marriage between European Australia and Indigenous Australia. But unfortunately, I don't know much about Indigenous Australia, and I really don't. I'm not just saying that um, yeah, for artistic purposes. I'm not just saying that for artistic purposes. I really don't. And I, I want to sort of, you know, if you know, on what basis do I think it's a good idea to put Australia, you know, to to marry? You know, that's like marrying someone blind if you don't know much about it. Is that a good idea? You know, it's like an arranged marriage. Captain Cook arranged a marriage between me and the indigenous culture. Yeah, but you know, oh well. If you if you're in if you are pushed into an arranged marriage as I have been, then you might as well get to know your wife. Okay, that'll do. That's what it's all about: getting to know Indigenous Australia. Um, uh, Not because I'm an activist, but just because I just feel like it. Okay, on with the show. Anunga, that's the mob that's around Uluru. Uh, In a previous episode, I was chatting away about how you know I was at the um, handover what was called Air's rock and which is now called uluru because it was called uluru, uluru all along uluru all along right now um ananga is the mob uh, but, but when i was um when i was telling you know re- recalling my little expedition to uluru um, i couldn't remember the name of the mob and that's them ananga uh, how did i know that well there was a bloke A fellow European-Australian, um, in the news this morning, and, um, he was telling... Now, they're banning climbing the rock, and it comes into effect very soon. Uh, Oh, should I say, uh, this episode is going to be about Indigenous Australia. Okay. Um, now, um... They're banning climbing the rock, and I think that's from October. Uh, I climbed the rock when I was young, um, and I climbed it the day after the handover, which is um, very odd. Um, I'm a very bad person, but I was, you know, young twenties. I wouldn't climb it now, uh, but I did then, and I knew that they didn't want me to climb it then, and I did anyway. Yeah, yeah, so judge me. <laughs> I explained why, you know in that previous episode. I'm actually not sure if I explained why. I just did, I just climbed it. Uh, Yes, so that uh, that journalist, the fellow European-Australian who wrote the article this morning, that reminded me of the name of the mob around Uluru, which I uh, forgot. And... uh, uh, the way people, um, you know, he was, um, he was expressing disbelief that anybody would climb the rock when it's got signs down there saying, we, you know, we um, respectfully request you don't climb the rock, you know, and then people do, which they do, you know, and um, even when they ban it, you know, people will anyway, people will climb it anyway, uh, I guess, Um, because it'll be even more of a challenge, you know, that's the way people are, Uh, and I dare say even, I I mentioned this in another episode, I reckon young indigenous people, I reckon all sorts of indigenous people back in the ancient times, when, uh, if and when tradition said you weren't to climb that rock, I bet you they did anyway, Uh, yeah, because Imagine you lived around Uluru 5,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago. You lived around Uluru 30,000 years ago. Look, there's no evidence that um, you weren't allowed to climb the rock 30,000 years ago. Is there? Probably. Um, All the rock carvings are down the bottom, I remember, of Uluru. I'm pretty sure I like, I did climb it and all that sort of thing. I'm pretty sure there's no rock carvings on the top. So maybe uh, rock paintings and all that sort of stuff. Um, and there are some around the bottom. Um, well, that's interesting. So maybe, you know, you, you would imagine if they were... If it was part of the culture to climb the rock as pumps, part of a ceremonial sort of tradition, there'd be uh, rock paintings on the top. Yeah, but then maybe not, because they would definitely wear away, wouldn't they? Maybe... Um, I think I recall, I, I saw the rock paintings, um, on the bottom. Back when I went up there, I'm pretty sure it was a bit easier to get around. I think it's a lot more built up now and it's a lot more commercial, a lot, a lot more touristy or whatever. There might be a lot more chains around and all that sort of stuff, for all I know. But, um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I'm struggling to remember, but I think I saw rock paintings around the bottom. I get mixed up when I move around. Um, and, um, and I, but if they, uh, but they were in sheltered spots, so maybe there were rock paintings on the top of Uluru, but they got washed away, but then maybe not, you know. But when people say, uh, you know, when indigenous people say, we have had the same tradition for 65,000 years, you know, the same laws for 65,000 years, I, I can't see how they could know that. Um. How do they know there wasn't a revolution like the French Revolution indigenous culture are they saying that that's not possible indigenous in indigenous culture you know um, I really struggle with that one you know um, you know because there were when the Europeans came to Australia you know the mobs had laws of course they did indigenous peoples had laws and cult- traditions and all that sort of stuff but how would they know that those same traditions hadn't been subject to revolution in the past. How are they to know that even a thousand years ago, that they didn't have completely different uh, traditions or even half different traditions? You know, everyone assumes that it's always been the same. Well, maybe not everyone does, you know. Um, But, you know, it's worth a thought, and I'll leave that thought. Right, so this fellow European, um, he... um, He was expressing disbelief. In that way, and I see it as a bit of a pompous way that people do um, in modern reporting, they get flabbergasted when people aren't um, adhering to what they see as self-evident morality, you know, something like that. Um, So, um, if yeah, look, I won't give you any any examples beyond that one. But climbing the rock, you know, and this European-Australian guy, um, and sometimes the European-Australians are even more flabbergasted than anyone else. It, I think, it's a language of social media, um, outrage, flabbergastment, <laughs> disbelief, horrification. You know, they they roll out all the adjectives and um, and. Um, you know, it's it's this way of reporting. Anyway, in in this um, article this morning, which I, and I, I just scanned it. I don't read articles through when I'm reading the news. Um, I, I just kind of flick, you know. And but I, I did see. He said I, I fail to comprehend or something like that. I, I fail to understand. I am left speechless. You know. The, I, I see this as all this the language of social media, you know, and, um, you know, and I just do not understand, I am flawed, you know, all this sort of language, you know, when he's reporting on the fact that, despite there being signs at the bottom of the rocks and we respectfully request that you do not climb the rock, you know, however, there's no, you know, we're not banning you at this point in time, which has been the case since 1980, whatever, you know, that's been the case since I climbed the rock. You know? And and this guy's saying, I'm flabbergasted, you know. I'll say, well, I can explain. They don't care. <laughs> All right, um, mystery solved, fellow European-Australian. Don't be so flabbergasted. You know, not everyone's got your level of morality. You know, some people might even object to that law. Well, you might get flabbergasted at that as well. But, you know. Um, it's really simple to me. Um, people, you know, and there, there are a whole. There are, you know, I used to be a young male. Did you, fellow European Australian? I used to be a young male, and when I was eighteen, if someone told me not to climb a rock, you know, even if it was an elder, I'd climb it. Um, now you can, you can think I'm shocking for that, um, but my cousins and I would all climb it, um, especially if we were sixteen or fifteen. Um, do you... Now, is that disrespectful? Or duh <laughs> You know, when my dad told me to climb a... Not to climb a tree, I climbed it. And when his dad told him not to climb a tree, he'd climb it. I wasn't allowed to, um, climb up on the roof of our house, and I used to sit up there, you know. So, um, it's... I don't even know if it's disrespectful. It's being... Young. Um, alright. So... The flabbergastment is misplaced, because, you know, I, I think I've explained it for young... Now, is it young males more than young females? I don't want to break feminist rules either, but I do notice, you know, maybe it's social construction, but males seem to be into that um, that sort of thing more than females. Um, is it true, you know... Uh, <laughs> You know, feminism is not this episode. Feminism, feminism is another episode. But do you, are young boys coded more for taking those sorts of risks and, you know, doing all that sort of stuff more than females of the species? Is there something to do with when we were cavemen? Are we allowed to have that discussion? And that might be another discussion I have another day. Uh, um, this would be done to death. Um, and But strangely enough, I haven't heard the answer to that. But I'll bet you that it's very well explained. And I'll bet you... It's explained in terms of social construction, you know, from when you're a baby, uh, boys are encouraged to be naughty in that respect. And girls are encouraged to be neat and tidy in that respect, you know, pardon my grammar. Um, And um, so maybe it's social construction, but, you know, sometimes I wonder if there's something in the DNA as well. And... I'm only asking questions, I'm not giving answers, you know. You could easily have two people uh, listening to this podcast and, you know, one person will say, well, absolutely, of course, boys are different, you know. And then another person saying, of course, absolutely stupid, of course, boys are no different, you know. You could have two such people, and they're the sorts of people that argue on Facebook, but I'm not there on Facebook. So let those two people argue, I'm sitting here on this podcast just asking the questions. All right, Um, if you find that vaguely unsatisfying, jump onto Facebook. There's plenty of rip-roaring discussions going on there. You don't have to listen to this podcast. podcast People who who like to have just a little relaxed chat, okay, Um, and for people who are having trouble getting to sleep, so they listen to me instead. (laughs) All right, Um, Stephen Fry style. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so I see this as a false flabbergastment. By some of these uh, people who express such flabbergastment um, and I, I find it vaguely irritating you know, you know because if, if, he, if he just thought through it a little bit look, I just explained it for I think I explained it for young socially constructed males why they climb the rock so this um, sort of business of reporting it is absolutely unbelievable I, I can't fathom it, it leaves me speechless how could people, I'll say well well, I just explained it for young males. Because if you tell them not to, they will. Alright? A lot of young males. it's probably because they're self socially constructed. So I'll be, even be feminist when I say that. Alright? Um, and then for other people, if you tell them not... Well! Human human nature. Um, imagine you were sitting in the... I, I mentioned this one before. Because it's occurred to me. Imagine you're in the middle of the savannah. In Where do they have savannas? Kenya, you know. A huge savanna, right? Miles around, nothing but grass. Flat and grass. And then, uh, but right in the middle is a tree. Right. Come on, do you want to climb it? You know, two blokes are walking through the savanna. Do you want to climb it? Oh, you know, Kenyan tradition says we shouldn't climb trees. Come on. Nobody's looking, let's climb it now is that bad you know and i'm talking to 45 year old blokes who've just been walking through the savannah for the last six hours and they come across this tree and for some strange reason they're drunk all right they're drunk and um and they say i want to climb the tree no you can't kenyan tradition says you can't you know it's bad the elders said you can't we are elders we're 50 Ah, oh, let's do it you know oh god we're humans you know what i mean lighten up but the language of this guy, and that's what the language of this European-Australian journalist is such that uh, there is no possible construction that he can think of that would prompt someone to climb Uluru when they've been asked not to. You know, now I wouldn't climb it. I'm telling you that at 56, right now, I wouldn't climb it, and I'd discourage my children from climbing it too. Uh, but you know, when we went to bed, I wouldn't be surprised if they snuck out and climbed it anyway. One of them would. The other two wouldn't. I've got two conservative children and one wild one. And the wild one would climb it. I think. I think she would. Okay? Alright, alright. So, I'm just trying to... I'm not trying to say that we should climb Uluru. I'm just... I'm I'm saying that um, this journalist's horrification is misplaced, okay? he, he can, he should be just saying, I am, a, I am very angry, he should say, rather than, I am flabbergasted. That's all i am say. I'm not sure about this social media language. Anyway, um, this false um, sense of uh, being in an abject state of disbelief. Come on, you can't be in an abject state of disbelief, surely. You know, I'm not even smart. I'm just driving my car, talking into an iPad. And I understand it. So, and you're a, uh, you're a professional journalist in social issues and you can't understand it, but I can, you know? Um, so how come you can't if you're such a, an expert that, you, that you've got a gig making money, making social commentary in, um, in uh, newspapers with huge circulations? You know what I think. I think you are faking your disbelief, that's what I think. And yet, you and I have the same um, level of respect. I'm just saying your flabbergastment is misplaced. Right, flabbergastation, Uh, flabbergastery. Right, now, um, so Uluru is like that, you know, it's just flat, flat, flat. Oh look, there's some olders over there, but you climb those as well, wouldn't you? Um, all right, Uluru, flat, 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 flat. Now, the way this European-Australian journalist is, um, constructing his grammar and his sentences in his article is that he cannot comprehend any way that anyone will climb the rock. All right, I'm going to give you one right now. Same as those two guys from that were in Kenya on a, um, on a safari. Right, they've come across to Uluru now, a couple of Aussies, you know, and... Um, they're walking, they they've come to Uluru to have a look at that and they've been wandering around bored, senseless, you know, bored, and, um, and they've, you know, they've had a good night out and they've had a bit of a drink and they said, let's climb the rock, you know. Now, I'm not saying this is good, I'm just saying this guy's disbelief is misplaced. Right. Um, and the two guys say, yeah, no, we can't climb it, the elders, the Anunga, this, this Anunga mob, um, says, no, we respectfully ask you not to climb it, you know, and the two guys said, ah, to hell, uh, yeah, I know, oh, let's do it anyway, to hell with them, you know, who are the Anunga anyway, are you hating these two guys yet, all right, and then they climb it, they get up there and they have a giggle, because they're so immature, then they come down, you know. And that's the end of the story. Oh, and here's the punchline. They are Wurundjeri. Oh, you thought they were European Australians, didn't you? (laughs) Sorry, I'm just having a bit of fun. But it could, that's possible. A couple of Wurundjeri guys go up there and, and, um, and, you know, get on the turps a little bit and have a bit of fun. All right, so I'm just imagining constructions where people might climb the rock, even though they're not supposed to, Okay. Um, and then there's other people who, who would think um, that on this planet, as a whole, there are interesting things. There, there are interesting views to be had. You know, like if there's a mountain, people climb Mount Everest. Now, if the Tibetan people or the Nepalese people, or who you know, Mount Everest, where is that? Is that? A, I think it's on the border of three countries. Is, is it Nepal? Tibet, and China, maybe, or India, China, China, I think. Um, if you're standing on, do the borders meet on the tippy top of Mount Everest? Because sometimes I hear that uh, Mount Everest is in three different countries, um, and I think it's Nepal and maybe Tibet. Which is in China anyway, I think. And China proper. I don't know. Um, but if you, where is the border? Where where does the borders meet? You know, um, oh, Maybe it's on the tippy-top of Mount Everest. I doubt it. Okay. Um, I think it's in Nepal. Anyway, so uh, what if the Tibetans or the Nepalese or whatever said, we respectfully asked you to not climb Mount Everest? What if we all did? on every continent, and um, in Tanzania, they said, we respectfully ask you to not climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Would that be the end of mountain climbing all over the world? Look, maybe that's a silly argument, you know. But the fact of the matter is, um, you know, if, I don't believe in God, but God has put um, some wonders on this planet where you can climb something and and um, see a, an awesome... Ors- Awe inspiring view, you know, and Uluru is one of those places, you know. So, um, did the rainbow snake or god or whatever why did you know it's there humans love climbing things? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but some people might have an ethical problem with is is there any such thing as a stupid law? Now, you in European Australia many people are adamant that some laws are stupid and need to... And especially laws made by old people, you know, old white men. Right. In Australian culture, you know, European-Australian culture, there are laws made by old white men that young people say... Have no respect for. And say there is... uh, That just because you're old doesn't mean that the law is good. In fact... um, I had a young, per- I know a young person, um, and, um, his name, his name starts with D, right? um, DL is his name, and I asked him point blank, you know, um, he's a, he's an anarchist, and I said, what about laws that you think are stupid, can you, you know, he said, I am not a lawbreaker, and I said, but what about laws that you think are stupid, he said, well, if a law is stupid, it should be broken, you know, How very interesting. Now, what if you, DL, um, thought that the law that prevented a bloke like you, uh, he's actually not a bloke, he's, um, I don't think he'd mind me saying, because he's open and proud about it, he's queer, you know, he's queer. So he's a person. Right, how would you feel if a person like you, honestly, and I, I don't mean fakely, I mean honestly, thought that a law preventing you from climbing the only rock within 100 kilometers of flat 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 ground the only place where you can get a view of the landscape and take in the wonders of the view um and take your breath away fully appreciate the wonderful desert the landscape of australia what if you thought that was a stupid law made by old men Right? The elders of the Anunga tribe. Um, And, you know, DL might say, yes, but they're black, so that's different. It's only laws made by old white men that I hate. uh, Laws made by old black men are to be respected. Um, Laws made by old white men um, must be challenged, you know, must be opposed. We need a revolution. And I say, well, what about if you were a young black man and you thought there should be a revolution against the law? that says don't climb Uluru, Uh, no, 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 because um, uh, indigenous culture is precious, it's only white culture that's not precious, and so on, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole there. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm just asking the question, you know, I'm just proposing ideas, Um, just trying to smash that guy's flabbergastings, more than anything, Uh, but I'll leave it alone there and get back to whatever I was saying before. that was a ramble, but I think it was an interesting ramble, and if you come down on one side of the equation that I'm proposing, um, great, you know, you'll be furiously saying, yes, of course, um, you should climb that rock, to hell with that law, if you think it's a stupid law, break it, you know, the sea shepherd, um, sees Australia, you know, laws made by old white men regards, with regards to whales as stupid and breaks it. Greenpeace sees laws that they don't like and just break them. So what's the difference? You know, you might think something like that. Um, whereas if you're on the other side of the equation, you might say, no, Indigenous culture needs to be respected more than European culture. Europea- uh, Indigenous laws are sacrosanct and European laws are not, you know. Um, a revolution is impossible in indigenous law. It, um, it It is static and always has been for 65,000 years and so it shall always be. Uh, where's the proof of that? Sometimes I wonder where's the proof of that? Maybe, maybe um, young indigenous blokes, you have to respect, sure, you have to respect elders, indigenous elders, but I have some respect for young indigenous, revolutionary, revolution-minded young indigenous people 10,000 years ago, who overthrew stupid laws. And you might say, there's no such thing. Um, young indigenous people are more respectful than European, young European people. They would not do that. You know, DL might say that. And I say, what, well, you mean like you? <laughs> Alright, that's a good place to finish. Stop the press. Here's the press. Uh, That guy I was talking about. That bloke um, who wrote an article this morning which prompted me to chat about Uluru and climbing Uluru. Uh, I'm just going to read it. Uh, Now, if you're the sort of person who is horrified by people uh, wanting to climb Uluru. Uh, horrified that is, um, wanting to climb Uluru when the people of that area, the Anunga people, don't want you to. Then read, listen to this article and love it. You know, and I'm, I, I'm all for that. You know, um, if uh, if you're the opposite. As I read it, hate this guy. You know, um, especially for the way he's speaking. And I don't like the way he's speaking. Um, I speak to my children like this. Uh, now, um, I don't think it's flabbergastment. I didn't actually read it this morning. I just got a. You know, I don't read whole articles. I scan them and get an idea. You know. Okay. Dad? Sorry, interrupted. As usual that's okay that's my job to be interrupted right now I don't know what to make of this Uh, as I read it I'll probably have thoughts about what I think about the ways um, speaking in this article I'll probably have thoughts but I'll leave those alone because as I say if you love this sort of guy just love it and if you hate this sort of guy hate it you know and I will try and just not comment all right Um, and uh, who's he? Uh, now, people climb the rock in the current climate. I I believe that if there are uh, 100 people climbing the rock, 55 will be climbing the rock for the reasons that he is describing here. No, maybe even 25. Maybe only 12 people. I don't know how many. But not all of them, surely. Other people will be climbing the rock for different reasons. Um, and, you know, like I can just see words as, uh, that I'm about to read that... Uh, now, hang on, let's see if I can just scan. Um, right, the people who are climbing the rock, um, they are doing it for small... because they've got a small-minded banality of perspective. You know, things like that. Um, that when they climb... They clamber the cheek to butt. Cheek to butt. Um, they're expressing their insistence of the right to do whatever they please. Um, you know, um, he's painting them a certain way. Now, you might absolutely, if you think that's that describes all those hundred people, then go for it. But I kind of doubt it. You know, some people might have a more mature reason for climbing the rock. For example, they think laws like Climbing the only rock in a huge expanse is a wrong law, you know, that um, that no one's got the right to lock up a rock on God's earth, you know, or the rainbow snake's earth, you know. look. Just imagine one person um, who thinks that all natural wonders of the world, no one's got a right to lock away any natural wonder of the world and that the whole planet belongs to all humans. Just imagine a person like that. Now, I am not on that person's side. All I'm saying is, such a person might be a highly regarded philosopher, a moral person in his own way, um, or her own way, um, and not be uh, climbing that rock for a small-minded ban- banal reason. You know. And I suppose, I haven't actually, I don't know why, what I think of the the um, the um, the way that people like this write, and i i can 't remember what it was like in the old days, but i th- I think when I was young, old people used to talk to me like this, you know, and you 'd roll your eyes on the inside, but now young people are talking like this about old people now this guy seems to be about my age, actually, just looking at his photo, and guess what he is a fellow European-Australian. I actually didn't know that. He looks like it anyway. Uh, He might not be. He might be Aboriginal for all I know, but um, uh, in which case that gives it a different perspective. Just looking at him, look, his name is, what is it? Michael Bradley. So I I suspect he's just the same as me. All right. Okay, let's go. Um, Heading. Uluru, is not yours to climb. Now, I won't give it a sarcastic... I won't read it in a sarcastic way. I'll read it in a neutral way, OK? Because I am i don't want to fall on one side or the other. But I'll just read it. Uluru is not yours to climb, by Michael Bradley, one day ago. OK. Please don't climb. The sign at the base of Uluru delivers a simple, dignified request from the Anangu, people, uh, Nangu, I said Nanga, the traditional owners of the rock and surrounding country. But still, hundreds of people a day are clambering cheek to butt up the side of Uluru, expressing their, insistent, uh, sorry, expressing their insistence of the right to do whatever they please before climbing is finally banned on October the 26th this year. Okay, so I know the date now. Alright, so hundreds of people a day. Uh, I, I will make some commentary because I can never help myself. And all of those hundreds of people are expressing their insistence of the right to do whatever they please. Hmm, okay, let's move on. You know, Like I said, don't forget that philosopher. Um, I always try to... Now I'm reading, this is Michael Bradley speaking now. I always try to understand from an empathetic positioning... What the hell motivates people's actions? I kind of get the reflexive demand that Uluru isn't theirs, it's ours, and therefore cannot, should not, be excluded from our basic love of achieving altitude and celebrating our mastery of nature. The small-minded banality of that perspective, however, defeats me. But rather than engage in the pointless pursuit of arguing with Pauline Hansen about her indigenousness, let's have a look at the actual rights at play here. Hmm, will he go? Will he actually discuss all the rights at play here? I don't know, I actually haven't read it, but let's go. When I was taught Australian history, which began in 1616 when Dirk Hartog bumped into the coast of WA we learned that William Goss discovered Ayres Rock in 1873. Obviously, prior to that, it hadn't relevantly existed. Okay, pause. I'm cooking as well, so I'll just turn over the sweet potatoes. It uh, hadn't relatively existed. Well, it hadn't recently. Well, do you know my, my actual feeling on that is that it hadn't existed from a European perspective, okay? Um, and I think that's defensible. It hadn't existed from a European perspective. Um, and that's what the word discovery means. So Captain Cook did discover the east coast of Australia, including the um, indigenous mobs on the east coast of Australia. Um, I think he can say that, um, but I don't think this guy would allow that sort of language. But it makes sense to me, but you don't have to agree with me. Um, but who, you know, when a long lost tribe, um, <clears throat> a lost, see, when a long lost tribe in the Amazon gets discovered, no one seems to complain about that language, and yet it's the same, isn't it? I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Reading on, oh no, it's another tray. Um, so I think that's that's something to think about. Um, I think from I think there is such a thing, you know. You don't have you don't have to use every word to explain what you mean, but there is such a thing as discovering something from a perspective. So, from the old world perspective, the Australian, you know, Australian East Coast was discovered by Captain Cook, and and from a European perspective. Um, it, Ayers Rock, as they called it, the Europeans, was discovered. Ayers Rock and the Anungu people were discovered by um, that guy, William Goss. Goss, Goss, whatever his name is. Okay, let's read on. Um, so when he says it hadn't relevantly existed... Uh, He says, obviously, prior to that, it hadn't relevantly existed. It's not that obvious. No. Another way to construct that. And this is what I get at with the language. And I know I talk too much. You know, I did 15 hours on the last episode, you know. I talk too much. But I like to use vague language. Because when you're too firm, like this guy is, obviously, prior to that, it hadn't relevantly existed. You're locking it down to only that possibility. And I don't think that's a good way to speak. All right, and, uh, and I know he has said a short sentence, he's writing a very short article in here, and I would spend 15 hours speaking about this article, you know. Obviously, you'd rather him, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, but I like the way I take a long time. Okay, back to this guy, whatever his name was. Okay, from 1950, Ayers Rock was a national park, the surrounding area had been an Aboriginal reserve in inverted commas, since the early 1900s, but remained federal land. Under the Fraser government in 1976, an Aboriginal Land Rights open brackets, Northern Territory, close brackets, Act was legislated to allow for Aboriginal land claims in the NT, a precursor to Barbo and the general recognition of native title in 1992. However, Uluru and the neighbouring Kata Juta were specifically excised from the Act's reach and managed by the NT Parks and Wildlife Service. The traditional owners, the Anangu, wanted the right to make a land title claim over the national park. The NT government was absolutely opposed to this. The federal government, caught in the middle, prevaricated for a decade until Bob Hawke's election in 1983 and his announcement that year that the Anangu's wishes were going to be granted. The handover took place in 1985 at the base of Uluru. Ha <laughs> ha, I was there when Governor General Sir Ninian Stephen, which, who I was standing right near, uh, signed over the title to the Uluru Katajuta National Park to the traditional owners, and they leased it back to the Australian Parks and Wildlife Service, APWS, now Parks Australia, for 99 years. The NT government boycotted the ceremony. Alright, I just checked my sweetened oh, The NT government boycotted it. Um, I didn't feel strongly enough about boycotting it. Um, okay, that's interesting, I didn't know that. Um, so, that's actually a, um, I don't know what the rules are with territories and Commonwealth. You yeah, know, it's a bit of a, um, a territory comes under the Commonwealth more strongly than a state does, does it? You know, what happens when a state and the Commonwealth fight? I like that one. Okay, Whew, where are we? Back to him. As a result, the freehold title to Uluru is now owned by the Uluru Kata Juta Aboriginal Land Trust, on trust for the traditional owners. It is as much public land as Pauline Hansen's house is public land, which is to say it is not. Okay. You may or may you may or may not like that, but the traditional owners of Australia didn't much like the alienation without compensation of hundred percent of their land between seventeen eighty eight and eighteen thirty six either. The lease back to the APW oh this is all history stuff, all right, so he's um his um His social commentary has dropped off here. This is just a bit of history, which I've got no problem with. The lease back to the APWS preserved public access to Uluru. As part of the management plan, a deal was struck to honour Anangu's wish for climbing of the rock to cease once certain conditions were met. These included, critically, that less than 20% of visitors were choosing to climb. That was satisfied in 2017. That's interesting. Okay, so less than 20% of visitors by 2017 were choosing to not climb. Now, sorry, uh, sorry uh, more than 80% of visitors were choosing to not climb by 2017. Um, this would sort of suggest that European Australians are quite nice and also visitors from overseas. You know we're often painted as horrible racist people, um, and I am a horrible racist person. But my fellow, let's say Europeans, Asians, and so on. Um, did I hear that Indigenous people up in the NT, uh, you know, um, dislike the ones I've heard of some who dislike Asian people. I don't know whether that's true. All right, now. Um, I shouldn't have even said it if I don't know it's true, should I? It shouldn't pass on gossip. That was bad by Sporty. Right, back to his um, his history lesson, which I've got no problem. This is just a history lesson. It's not what I'm talking about. But this is a um, this is a podcast on um, Indigenous Australia. So even though I started reading this to pick on the guy, um, this middle section. I'd say, just read it for useful information that I didn't even know. Um, the Anangu decided to offer a two-year forewarning of the closure of the climb. I don't think they were contemplating this as an offer of a last-chance climbing bonanza, but rather an allowance, as an allowance of time for everyone to get comfortable with the exercise of their legal right. So is that what's happening? Um, just before the the gates close, uh, people are rushing up there to have one last climb or their first climb because they'll never get another chance. Hmm. If you've never climbed Ayer's Rock, bucket list, all that sort of stuff. Gee, you know, when he said right at the start, I'm going to discuss the competing rights or whatever he said, does he discuss the right of people to want to climb Mount Everest or to want to climb Uluru and that we're all humans and we all own the planet on one construction. There are a lot of progressive, compassionate people who say we are all one people one one humanity and we own all of the earth, you know. There are a lot of people like that. No borders. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily small-minded banality, is it? And I'm not even anti this guy i wouldn't climb the rock and I, I really wouldn't at this point in time okay all right now he's got a subheading here called collective denial collective denial the fact is oh that's a strong way to start a sentence uh, sorry just turning some potatoes again the fact is i hope it is a fact i haven't read yet The fact is that the owners of Uluru have every legal right to prevent people from climbing it. Okay, that's probably true. Yeah, I think that was something to do with, um, you know, the handover. Okay, they do not need to defend their choice by reference to Jakurpa, a complex concept that includes the creation period and is central to the spiritual importance of Uluru, or their feeling of responsibility for the at least 36 deaths that have occurred as a result of climbing the rock since the 1950s. Well, the 36 deaths. Of course they've got no responsibility for that. Um, Their feeling of responsible for the responsibility for the 36 deaths. How on earth is that their fault? That's a funny way people think these days, isn't it? That if people climb something and then fall off that it's The lawmaker's fault. It's the government's fault, you know, whether that government be a traditional sort of government or... All right. Okay. Their their feeling of responsibility for the at least 36 deaths that have occurred. It's our fault because you climbed up there. No. Unless unless the people are... um, No, I can't see it. All right, but I know that's the way people think these days. If you get killed, if you jump into a creek, if you jump into the Murray River in a remote corner of the Murray River, um, it's the government's fault you know, because they didn't put a sign there. Anyway, let alone the defecations. Okay, I've heard about that. YouTube videos and sundry other defacements inc- inflicted by climates. That is a problem, but that's a problem. You know, I don't like graffiti in my suburb either. Okay, that is a problem. I agree with him. Back to his writing. But all of these things matter. Most non-Indigenous Australians have somewhere between no or little understanding of Aboriginal culture, spirituality and tradition. I agree with that. I'm one of the people who don't. You know, I uh, have much understanding. Um, Hop out for a sec. Oh yeah, you you can do it. no. excuse me, I have to cut Cucumber. Okay, back to Michael Bradley. And this is not half bad, actually. <laughs> I don't mind all this. Okay, now we're I'm learning something. You know, and that's what this podcast is all about. Me learning something. Not you. Me. Right. But all of these things matter. Most non-Indigenous Australians have somewhere between no and little understanding of Aboriginal culture, spirituality, and tradition. That's been our collective national choice. So... The Anangu's wish has been routinely dismissed. Okay, that's fine. Um, I find that with a lot of immigrants, actually. Um, uh, uh, Ones that stick out in my mind is some Turkish people I was speaking to once, and also some Ethiopians, who were only interested in filling my head with their culture. And the instant I tried to even mention my culture, they looked at me blank saying, sorry, your culture is not relevant. You know, so if, um, European Australians are bad, so are Turkish people and so are Ethiopians. If I'm a pig, Ethiopians are pigs, you know, that sort of logic. And, um, and also, you know, I've, I've met a lot of Ethiopians lately and none of them really, maybe say one or two, none of them express, even show the slightest interest in my culture, even when I'm showing massive interest in their culture, you know, um, So, yes, maybe we're pigs, but we're not the only pigs. All right, now, I wanted to use strong language there, I felt like it. Okay. Next. We have no, this is Michael Bradley again. We have no difficulty in recognizing the right, legal and ethical, of a person who bought waterfront land to not allow us to walk on their patch of beach. Now, that's interesting. Oh, I'm changing my mind here. He's, you know, he's winning me over with that one. He's winning me over. But then again, if anyone owned a national, uh, mm, half and half, he's half winning me over. We have a situation where Lindsay Fox, He Lindsay Fox lives near my mother. Um, You know, he lives in Portsea and he is trying to section off um, a beach, some actual beach, a sandy beach, you know. Um, we have a huge problem with that. So, if I was speaking to this Michael Bradley, who is a lawyer, by the way, I can see, but so what, I'm married to one, you know. Um, now, he is, um, he is, I think, falsely... Hmm, no, we do have a problem if... We really do have a problem if, um european australians section off beach now i'm not familiar with the sydney waterfront and i think that has been wrongly captured in a long time ago by people but you know my experience i'm from victoria is that anyone who tries to section off beach which is you know seen as a very obvious um, sort of something that should be enjoyed by all people the ocean belongs to everyone you know Um, and and the foreshore of every beach, we do have a culture of saying no, no, that's one of those spots on earth that no one can own, you know Sandy beaches are not something that people should own. Now, Lindsay, and you might say, oh yes, but we've got, I can point to 10 examples, I can point to 100 examples where people are doing that, you know, European Australians. All I'm saying is we've got a huge problem with that, we European Australians, and we fight people like Lindsay Fox tooth and nail, you know, um, my mother is the sort of person who'd go down there and take Lindsay Fox's bollards out of the sand, you know, single-handedly, <laughs> even though she's five foot two. <laughs> Um, so no, his point here is not that strong, and and not as strong as it looks, right, next, on to what he's saying, I'm not going to disagree with everything he's saying, right, next, uh, Michael Bradley again, we can understand emotional reactions when a sports stadium is demolished, okay, because it's the spiritual home of something or other, Okay, yep, yeah, all right. That's good. If someone demolished Windy Hill, Essendon's spiritual home ground, I would have a problem with that. hmm, and yet anybody can walk on um on the you know it's it's open access for all anybody can walk on it, okay. We care about whether it's okay to project a horse race onto the opera house sales all right now that that paragraph was semi interesting uh but he is putting it forward as a lay down argument, and I think that one paragraph there about the way we think about we can own, um, you know, obviously um, you know, things that should be enjoyed by the public, we have a problem with that, you know, European public. You know. Uh, no, I, I, don't think, I don't think that paragraph covers it perfectly. As It per- doesn't cover it as perfectly as he says, I think. OK? So he's saying, we have no difficulty in recognising the right of a person. Oh, all right, let's read it again. We have no difficulty in recognising the right, legal and ethical, of a person who bought waterfront land to not allow us to walk on their patch of beach. Well, I, I call bulldust on that. We do have a problem with that. We do have a problem with that. Uh, Lindsay Fox and this guy is a lawyer he should know this one it's a famous one Lindsay Fox using an archaic law yeah and um i think some other people down in Portsea too um bought land you yeah, know back in the 1800s um, you know the values you know there's 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 some real contentious stuff going on down in Portsea and they bought it in such a way as that um, the heirs to the that land these days um, own, you know, own in inverted commas legally land all the way down to the waterfront. And there was a big hoo-ha. And even in Sorrento, you know, where my mum lives, there's a uh, they actually tried to section off the beach, and they did have a legal title over that. And, um, and. The government stepped in and made them share it, made them share it. I can go and walk on that beach right now, even though it's technically owned by private owners, okay? Now, you would have to get into the property laws down there in Sorrento and Portsea, but this Michael Bradley is a lawyer, and he hasn't done his research, and he's creating that, he's saying that as fact. We have no difficulty in recognising the right legal and ethical, of a person who bought waterfront land to not allow us to walk on their patch of beach. He has put that down as fact, and it's not and it's not 100% fact. We do have difficulty. You know, it's not 100% truth that we have no difficulty in recognising that right. Now, I spent a bit of time on that, but this is what I'm getting at. He's a lawyer. Um, you know, and I know lawyers, and they're supposed to be a lot more careful with their grammar. Hmm... Right, next paragraph. Yet, yet, when it comes to the cultural claim of an 80,000-year-old tradition, all right, 80,000, 75,000, 70,000, 65,000, that could be. The, that's a minor point. I'm not going to, I wouldn't even bother. wouldn't even bother putting that to the magistrate. I'd let him say 80,000, because, you know, you don't push technicalities. Who cares? Um, right. But when it comes to the cultural claim of an 80,000-year-old tradition, Oh, wait, I would challenge that. How does he know that there wasn't, as I mentioned, how does he know that for the whole 80,000 years that has been a tradition? How does he know that tradition is even, you know, goes back even 1,000 years? He's got no way to prove that. The cultural claim of an 80,000 tradition. He's got no way of knowing that for all of those 80,000 years um, people haven't been able to climb that rock. How does he know... That for thousands of years on end, it was tradition to climb the rock. He has got no way of knowing that. Surely, this is what I've got a problem with. The way people just, you know, if you if you say it, just because you say it, it makes it true. That's what he's thinking in his head. I'm going to say this, and it's going to be true because I said it. You know, I do have a problem with this article, and I kind of knew I would. And not because I'm a pain in the ass, you know. Okay. Because people aren't careful with their grammar. And I like to think that I am. Of course I do. Or I wouldn't be speaking. Okay. Give me my vague way of speaking any time. All right. Yet, when it comes to the cultural claim of an 80,000-year-old tradition... The custodians of which have not sought to shut anyone out, but in the most respectful and careful way imaginable, asked us, warned us, and finally, you know, warned us not to kill ourselves, but we've got the right to kill ourselves, I think that's what, warned us, and finally told us, aha, you know, that's when the immature people, you know, don't, grown-ups shouldn't tell other grown-ups what to do, they'll get angry, um, To at least not walk all over the top of the sacred rock. That's fair enough, if it's sacred. um, I I do take that point. That's why I don't climb it now. But the point is, some people object to the fact that the only wonder of the world in Australia should be sacred. And you can't climb it, you know. Something like that. Other people might. Anyway, we don't know. There's been precious little pause to reflect. Ooh. Yet when it comes to the cultural claim of an 80,000-year-old tradition, dot, 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 there's been precious little pause to reflect. How does he know that? I'm really, I know I'm really picking this apart, but seriously, how does he know that there haven't been people arguing on the side opposite to him that have reflected deeply? How does he know that, you know? What he's doing here, and it's a kind of sophistry, I think, is um, belittling the thought that has gone into uh, belittling the other side of the argument. You know, because you think differently from me, you haven't put enough thought into it. And that's you know, Michael Bradley saying, "Because I agree with what I'm saying, therefore I have put a lot of thought into it." You disagree with what I'm saying. Therefore, you have put no thought into it. You know, you have had precious little pause to reflect. You yeah? he's infantilizing the other side. I think it's a dirty trick. I mean, I am going to smash this guy. I want to smash this guy. And yes, neither he nor I would climb the rock, you know. And I know that, you know, that's neither he nor the... All right. Next paragraph. Instead, there's been the rush... To condemn and to climb. Yeah, before the before the rock is closed off. To condemn and climb. Alright, okay, that's fair enough. The last minute trampling is a hell of a metaphor. The symbolic expression of valueless ignorance dressed up as overt disrespect. Who are the ones without culture? The Anangu, no. Yeah, you know what? not to hell with his um, history lessons, but to hell with the way he expresses things. I honestly think that, you know, I don't like this guy. Okay, moving on. That didn't disturb my Zen, by the way. My Zen is intact. Um, I haven't got a big problem with what he was saying. I have a big problem with how he was saying it, you know, and that doesn't disturb my zen whatsoever. Okay, you know, when I was young, I used to get scold- scolded by old people for putting my feet up on the seat, and so I should have been, uh, but now I'm 56 and I'm getting scolded by other 56 year olds. Yeah. Just because he's scolding me, yeah, I might just tell him to get stuffed. Even if he's right, even if I agree with him, I might still tell him to get stuffed That's what I mean. it's not about what he's saying it's about how he's saying it another thought I just had um, and my thoughts don't have to match up with my previous thoughts. yeah, you know, my previous thoughts were just about just the way Michael. Bradley is scolding everybody, you know, um, and, and I just, another, even another thought I had, you know, he's saying, it's not yours to climb, the law clearly states, yeah, but once upon a time, the law clearly stated that the indigenous people had no rights over it at all, so, you know, he's a real stickler for the law right now, this lawyer, um, was he a stickler for the law back then? If he's going to be a stickler for the law, be a stickler for the law. But, you know, it's it's, it's not a winning argument, you know. Um, if you're happy to break a law on other occasions, surely he was happy to break the law previously. Or he's not being very nice to the Indigenous people, you know. Um, so he's inconsistent, I think, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, but the other thought I was having um, is this. And um, if we, if, I mean, when, when it becomes law that you can't um, climb the rock, I actually think that might be a good thing. It's got nothing to do with what I was saying, you know. Um, it might be a good thing because it'll increase the magic of the rock. Sometimes, if you have to stand back, and just watch it from afar and not climb it, it can actually make it more magical. Um, and when I went there, it was magical just approaching it. You know. um, it's a thought. Okay. Here's a thought I just had after having sort of said all that. Um, and I'm only trying to tease out the idea that for European Australians, Indigenous laws should be sacrosanct. Um, I'm only trying to tease that out as, in principle, you know, as a theory, not necessarily anything to do with um, climbing Uluru. You know, right? um, but if it is put forward as an argument that it is indigenous law, therefore, thou shalt respect. Um, and I don't know the, and I could have easily googled this just before I sort of said it. Um, where does an animal rights? Now this might be an old one that's been done to death, but I'm not on social media, so I miss debate. You know, a lot of things are argued to death on Facebook, and I wouldn't even know and here and i naively come in right at the start you know it's probably been something that's been debated about for years on facebook you know and here am i just saying hey i just had a thought what about boom 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 and you know if you are on facebook you might say oh i roll <laughs> did i do that in a good 15 year old way um this has been where have you been i say, well um <clears throat> Not on Facebook. <laughs> um, okay, where does an animal rights liberation sort of group like Peter, P.E.T.A., and I'm sure this is absolutely Googleable, uh, but I'm, I've got a thing against researching because it spoils the freshness of a podcast like this. But where does an where does Peter sit with um, indigenous animal killing practices? Now, this is not. A way for me to say, uh, because Peter would um, raid a corroboree and stop them eating a kangaroo, which I assume Peter would like to do, is that true? Uh, I do not know the answer to that. Because I know Peter raids um, uh, abattoirs and such like. Um, So animal liberationists, forget Peter, abro... What did I say? Um, Animal rights liberationists, they do raid places where Europeans are slaughtering animals. Do they raid indigenous places where they slaughter animals? I don't know the answer to that, and I don't want to know the answer to that. All I'm saying is it does just see off that uh seemingly self-evident argument that um if indigenous law says don't climb the rock then that's the end of it and you know thou shalt not discuss you know it uh, i only mentioned that one i just mentioned by way of sort of saying it's not that clear cut you know i just wanted to put a wrinkle in the clear-cuttedness of it all you know um and and I sometimes think of Captain Cook when he went to Hawaii. I'm pretty sure he was, He had to sit there and watch a human sacrifice. Am I right in saying that? If he didn't, I'm sure it happened somewhere along the line with Europeans, where they had to watch human sacrifice um, in indigenous communities. You know, I'm not. I'm not talking about Australian indigenous communities. I, I look if there was any human sacrifice in Australian indigenous communities. You know if there was then that wouldn't be a surprise uh because i'm pretty sure human sacrifice has or been a norm in every culture you know uh, my, ancestor, my ancestors my ancestors ancestors sorry i'm very you know a hospital i slept in a hospital ward last night uh babies about four or five babies in the ward royal children's hospital um ah oh dear yeah such is the life <laughs> Um, So I can't string words together today. Um, Oh, you know what I was about to say. I'll leave it alone. (laughs) So, uh, this episode is about Indigenous stuff, Indigenous Australia. Uh, Because in previous episodes, I've been, you know, I made a distinction. I said there are many Australians. Yeah, there's European Australia, which is young and free. Yeah. The constitution, you know, um, Australia, uh, when most people yeah, European Australia, Australia as defined in the constitution, is only about 119 or 118 years old. And um, Indigenous Australia is around about 65,000 years old. Um. Geological Australia, well, that's a tricky one, you know. Um, I, just for my own fun, um, look, Australia goes back billions of years, um, but as a standalone continent, roughly the shape that it is now, it only goes back to the last um, ice age. Uh, Surely. Now, Um, because before that, you know, we we didn't have the current shape. It was part of what we now call, I don't know where the word came from, Sahul. You know, which is a, a bigger continent. And then the waters rose and flooded in between the Australian mainland and Tasmania. I dare say back then I could have walked to Hamilton Island, and I probably wouldn't have called it Hamilton Island. And... You could definitely walk across to New Guinea. So, the um, when the indigenous people say, we've been here for 65,000 years, they are the same mob then, is it true, as the, um, the New Guineans? That would have to be true, wouldn't it? Um, when was the last Ice Age? Uh, because indig- uh, indigenous Australians, uh, now we have Aboriginal people, you know, with the Aboriginal flag, as we call it. And then we have Torres Strait Islanders. Now, they're two, definitely two different mobs, all right? Uh, now, um, so Aboriginal Australia, as distinct from Torres Strait Islanders, which implies as distinct from New Guineans, must only go back to the last, you know, when, um, when the waters flooded through Torres Strait and created Torres Strait. So um, Aboriginal Australia as a distinct group, um, uh, one would think they date back to then, you know, which might not be 65,000 years ago. Uh, hang on, I'm going to pull over and look that up. I'm going, now, this is the first time in all these episodes I've looked something up. Let's see how quickly I can do it, because otherwise I'm wasting your time. Uh. Okay, I've got it, 10,000 years ago, the end of the last ice age. I couldn't remember that. And 65,000 years ago, or we should say, people came to Sahul. Uh, I only Googled, when did Tasmania separate from Australia? And that must be this roughly the same time that New Guinea separated from Australia, surely, wouldn't you think? Um, okay, end of the last ice age, 10,000 years ago. So that's a good figure to have in my head. Um, okay sixty five thousand years ago I always say sixty five thousand it could be it could have been seventy thousand when humans first came to Australia it could have been eighty thousand years ago it could have been fifty i I, I just like sixty five thousand years uh, as a number because it 's the one i 've heard the most often all right so um sixty five thousand years ago sixty five thousand years ago um, um, people came to Sahul. I think that's the way we should say it, or, oh no, do I have to, um, do I have to Google whether the waters were high or low then? I need to find out when the start of the last ice age was, don't I, um, because, oh god, yep, All right, just a second, I need to get this clear. million years ago. Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, Is that true? I I just googled it quickly. Um, So did the last did the last ice age start 2.6 million years ago and go all the way through to only 10,000 years ago? It actually said 11,700 years ago in the um, site that I just quickly googled. Uh, But that's amazing. so we've been ice age for a long time, um, before, uh, until extremely recently. You know, because 10,000 years ago is nothing. Uh, like It's like a click of the fingers compared to 2.6 million years ago. Now, um, so that's interesting. So, humans kind of evolved during the ice age. I didn't, I never kind of thought about that before. Um, okay, so, um, and I think humans, you know, kind of 300,000 years ago, depending on how you define human, um, Biggles, you know, he reckons humans, um, evolved when he was born, (laughs) no, um, but, um, I kind of think about that, I kind of think that about me, (laughs) um, no. Uh, yeah, well maybe I do. We're a funny lot, we humans. Yeah. We're a bit egocentric. Yeah. That would explain racism a bit too, wouldn't it? Uh but um I'm finished with racism. Uh that oh, racism and all that stuff has been the subject of was the subject of the previous episode previous episode called Naz and Beagle. So I'll largely drop that now, because I just wanted one big episode on that, and it was a huge episode, 15 hours long, um, but it didn't go to plan, you know, I actually wanted it to be one episode, 15 hours long, you know, so, um, but the podcasty things, you know, the podcast gods, who distribute these things online, and, you know, um, didn't like episode 15 hours long and I discovered that when I got to about 8 or 9 hours and um, had to chop it up and so it became 11 episodes of around about an hour and a half each, you know but I discussed all that stuff then, you know the whole black and white thing and everything which is really relevant, but you know uh, given that I spoke about it so much, I don't really need to speak about it so much anymore probably, right so Humans must have come about, evolved. I'm guessing during the ice age. All right, that's interesting. Um, now, uh, you know, in my mind's eye, I kind of imagine us evolving in a climate roughly like now. You know, when I'm when just when when I don't think about it, you know, because often I don't think things through until I start uh, consciously thinking through things. You know, I just take things for granted, like probably a lot of people, and I kind of, you know, if we, if we, uh, if we came about, you know, if we evolved, if we popped into existence, if we had a genetic mutation, however it comes about, these things, um, and, and there we were, pop into existence, now, pop into existence, Uh, people of faith snigger at that, um, but it's evolution, it's, it's it's slower than that, I uh, although um, evolution, you know, the theory of, um, is not a, a smooth thing, you know, there's you go along, nothing happening, nothing happening, nothing happening, and then jump, you know, but I don't know how quick that jump is. You know, maybe a golden child is born, you know, um, all the monkeys are having babies, having babies, having babies, and then one comes out, and it's walking up You know, and baby comes out and it's got thumbs. (laughs) That would be funny, you know. That'd be a genetic mutation. Now, if the monkeys didn't kill that baby, because, you know, they're racist, those guys. You know, they're anti-thumb. I've heard about that, they're anti-thumb, those monkeys. And um, so the monkeys have a baby and one comes out with thumbs, all right. Look, probably not that dramatic, but comes out a little bit not looking like a real good monkey. a little bit more, what we would call these days a little bit more human, um, and they probably ate it, alright, ate it, or whatever, um, so, we probably had, maybe a, you know, in the, in the land of the great apes, we probably had a few possible starts for a superior type of, um, ape, um, even beyond all the ones we got, you know, like, um, you know, um, Homo erectus, you know, and Homo habilis, that sounds a bit Spanish, and so on and so forth, Homo neanderthalus, Homo denisovian, Homo british, you know, all those sort of things, um, okay, pickles, now, um, so, all right, all right. That, be that as it may, the water levels were what? Lower. Lower than they are. No, sorry. Higher. No, lower, lower, lower. Um, so it was easier to go from landmass to landmass, and um, and I presume that's when indigenous people came to. No, sorry, not indigenous people. The first Southeast Asians came across from Timor to this large landmass, mass that was much larger than, you know, 65,000 years ago they came to Sahul, the indigenous people, let's say. And Sahul comprised modern New Guinea, modern Australia, modern Tasmania, not part of Australia. <laughs> um, and a lot of all our islands, you know, half of them would have been part of the mainland then, called Sahul, and there would have been another, a whole other batch of islands off the coast, that are now completely submerged, all that sort of stuff, you know, now, so that's that, so, uh, alright, in my mind's eye, it doesn't matter if I'm wrong, just correct me in your own mind, you know, um, even when I'm wrong, that can crystallise whatever whatever is correct in your mind, better than even if I said it, you know, correctly in the first place, you know. Sometimes, in opposition, when, when you're listening to someone say something wrong, the act of opposing them in your mind makes the correct answer stick better than the other way around. All right. Uh, sometimes people tell me stuff and, um, you know, and, and I, I, I get a feeling it's bulldust. And uh, I end up spending weeks. Finding out about it one way or another. and um, But if they had told me the truth in the first place, I would have spent no more than five minutes on it. So the fact that they spoke ball dust was good for me because I spent weeks obsessing about the subject because being Irish, I wanted to prove them wrong. <laughs> being human, you know, we're all the same. Seven billion beautiful souls. Now, um, so that's that. All right, so they come... And then, then the waters... Rose um, something like eleven thousand seven hundred years ago, um, but in my head I'm just going to say ten thousand years ago. Um, and the waters rose, and then Aboriginal people were cut off from Tor- uh New Guineans, and also cut off from Tasmanians. You know, Ab- uh, mainland Australians were cut off from those other two mobs, and 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 there's a There's um, there's a Torres Strait Islander just stranded on a little island in the middle (laughs) in between New Guinea and Australia. Now, they had canoes, (laughs) so even if no one was stranded on the island, on various islands in the Torres Strait Island, you know, they could still have sort of canoed out there and, uh, and, and, um, and set up colonies there as they wished. All right, So, I would say that Aboriginal Australia became distinct, a distinct mob 10,000 years ago. Um, And New Guineans, you know, also became a distinct mob at the same time. Um, uh, And yeah, that's fair enough. And that so did Tasmanian, Tasmanian Aboriginals. Now, as far as sea travel goes, I dare say sea travel kept going. Uh, I bet, especially from New Guinea to a, to mainland Australia. I'm not sure about crossing Bass Strait. That sounds tricky. Um, yeah, that sounds tricky on sort of small craft. It's pretty treacherous, Bass Strait. Look, it could have happened. Um, there was a, a thing called, and I listened to it on a podcast, The Sailor's Walk, and some Europeans got shipwrecked, and um, on an island, I don't know which island it was, um, near Tasmania, in between um, Tasmania and Victoria, and they had a longboat on their ship. You know, the ship was shipwrecked, but they still had a longboat, and they only just managed to get to Victoria, to 90 Mile Beach, and sort of scrapes themselves as- ashore. You know, so it's not easy getting uh, to Bass, uh, across Bass Strait. Um, all right, so that's that. Now. So, all right, in my mind. Now, even before, um, even before the waters rose, um, now, when you say the, you know, the Aboriginals became a distinct mob, well, there were already many distinct mobs before that, no doubt, surely, you know. So there would have been nations all over Sahul, shall we say, you know. Um, so when the waters rose, that didn't make a big difference, surely, to your given nation, you know, like the Wurundjeri people here in Melbourne. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like an announcement was made that um, we are all Aboriginal now, you know, because they were just mobs all over Australia, and um, they were separate nations, okay? But what, you know, what the Aboriginal flag represents today, that, you know, the Black and red with the yellow dot. Um, looks good in the crowd, you know, in, at the footy. Uh, works well. We often have Aboriginal flags in the Essendon sort of cheer squad. I haven't seen one in the last couple of years, but you know, in the past we've often had an Aboriginal flag flying in the middle of the Essendon cheer squad, because Essendon's red and black too. And Aboriginal flags look great. Um, look great in an Essendon cheer squad. Um, we've got a very good connection with indigenous people at Essendon, Uh, you know, Kevin Sheedy, Michael Long, all these people were champions for reconciliation in my opinion, okay, and we often, um, for various games, Essendon, we're red and black, but we have a yellow strip on the sleeve, um, which I'm pretty sure is for, you know, for indigenous purposes, and I like that. We also have an indigenous jumper. All the clubs have an indigenous jumper um, for indigenous round. Um, We have an indigenous round every year, which I like. Um, And that goes well. Um, We have what's called the Dreamtime at the G game, Essendon versus Richmond. And um, Dreamtime at the G, all the ceremonial stuff before the game, and all that sort of thing. Now, that ceremonial stuff before the game, I've never really analysed it, but I presume, what, do different mobs get together or is it Wurundjeri people because it happens to be in Melbourne. The MCG is in Melbourne. I'm not sure. Um, It's probably a little bit more broad than that. You know, I dare say they have different mobs coming to the MCG and doing all the pre-game ceremonial stuff. Um, Dream time at the G. Essendon versus Richmond every year. Get onto it. Now, um, so what was I talking about? Yes, so it's almost irrelevant, um, I suppose, to indigenous mobs all over Australia that the waters rose, except for the ones that lost land. Um, So no doubt they, you know, the land that was in between Tasmania and uh, Victoria, that all got uh, flooded. Um, And same goes for Torres Strait. Um, So those people must have encroached on other people's land. Um, So there would be people, Indigenous people here in Australia today, whose ancestors, you know that connection to land, their ancestors, their ancestral land, that gave birth to them. Because, you know, the Indigenous people have this thing where the land produces them, you know. They are at one with the land there'd be a lot of indigenous people surely who are at one with land that is underneath the ocean because I, I, I can't imagine them just standing there and drowning uh, when the waters came through um, so they must have pushed into other people's lands because it's a lot of land in between you know what is now Bass Strait is a lot of land um, and then um, you've got right around Australia um, um, how many kilometers would it be out to sea that would have been all land back then? Um, and um, so that's interesting. So all those people must have pushed in land onto other people's land, um, and that would be just—I can't do the maths in my head—but millions and millions and millions of square kilometers of land. You know, all the land between Australia and Hamilton Island, for example, and even further out than that, because Hamilton Island's not that far. All around Australia, can you even calculate how much land that is? Well, probably you can. I bet you it's on the internet. How much? How big Hall was, and how much land got flooded? Now, short of all those people just standing there and drowning, which I don't think they would, because they had plenty of time to think about it. The waters would have risen very gradually, so they could just, as the water, the waters didn't come through in a rush. You know, through Bass Strait it would have just risen an inch. You know. An inch every generation, you know, or every year. Maybe a centimeter every year or something for hundreds and hundreds of years, 11,000. Maybe for a thousand years, the waters rose slowly. So people would have just edged away from it, surely. Okay, so a lot of indigenous ancestral lands are underneath the ocean, which doesn't present a problem to me. Okay, you know, all right. Um, So that's that. Now, um, but what we, what the uh, aboriginal flag, the black and red and yellow one, represents is I think all the indigenous mobs, as a collective, you know, a lot of them would have been enemies with each other, we can handle that, you know, we we say there's a thing called Europe, but a lot of them hate each other's guts, you know, we can handle that. So Europeans, Indigenous Australia, Aboriginal Australia is that black, red, and yellow flag. And then there's the Torres Strait Island, which is, you know, got the little Torres Strait Island sort of symbol on it, the green and the blue and all that sort of thing. Um, And then New Guinea's a different thing altogether. Um, But uh, Tasmania is included in Aboriginal Australia. All right, so that's that. So they're they're my numbers. 65,000 years, mobs like the Wurundjeri tribe I don't know when they got to Victoria. Um, You know, pretty obviously they came in through uh, the north of Australia and then would have made their way down. Now, it only takes, what, weeks to come down to Victoria? Or they might have taken 500 years, or they might have taken 1,000, or they might have taken 2,000. Or they could have just marched all the way down to Victoria straight away and be down here. How long does it take to walk to Victoria? Probably not that much. Um, A month? I don't know. I've never walked it. Alright. Um, so that's that. And um, I heard someone, um, I was listening to a very tragic episode, um, a, a podcast about the history of Rottnest Island in WA, uh, you know, off Perth. You know, very bad atrocities happened there. You know, even that one, I mean, that one made me feel. But I won't get into it, you can, you can find out about that one yourself, um, but Rottnest Island, um, and there was an indigenous person speaking on the podcast, and you know she was describing, and I think correctly, um, uh, something I was mentioning, because I probably got it off her, or if not her, people like her, um, that when um, the European culture came, look, they all say white man culture, you know. And the reason they probably say that is because against them we were white. Okay, so there's not a problem with that. Um, when the Europeans came, yeah, the indigenous people wouldn't have called us Europeans. They would have called us whites. Um, we would have called them blacks. Um, what else would you call each other? You know, yeah, because they, we hadn't provided an atlas, a world atlas to the indigenous people describing where Europe was, so they couldn't call us Europeans. Okay, not for the first few weeks anyway. Right, now, um, the, an indigenous woman came on and was describing how, how tricky it was uh, when Europeans settled Perth. And uh, the Europeans did all these tricks, um, dirty tricks, I don't mind saying, to push indigenous people off all lands that were providing Indigenous people with food, you know, so, um, and pushed them into the margins, um, as far as geography goes, um, so, Europeans took all the good land, you know, of course they did, you know. they're greedy, and, um, thoughtless, and all that sort of stuff, you know, alright, so, and then Indigenous people got pushed off, you know, and pushed away from the Swan River, and, uh, digression. black swans black swans befo- uh, it was a, un- a truth universally acknowledged and just known and not questioned that before Europeans came to Australia Australia and this is amongst people in the old world you know Africa Australia uh, Africa Europe and all those places um, it was a, it was a just a straight truth that all swans were white. So you got to be careful of your straight truths. Um, it, 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 it wouldn't have even been in people's heads that it was possible for a swan to be black, you know. And they came to Australia and the swans were black. That's amazing. I don't understand how that came to be because they're very similar looking. Um, oh, you look, if you're a birdie, you would say, no, they're not. <laughs> but to my eye, they look very similar. And... Um, that's interesting, how did they go black? Because often I think um, white people were black once and became white, you know, vitamin D deficiencies, I forget what all the theories are. You know, or sometimes people, white people can go black if they get toasted. You know, I wonder sometimes, because um, indigenous Australians seem to have come from Southeast Asia, but they're a lot blacker. Um, so did they get toasted? You know, All these questions I ask myself, but do feathers get toasted? No, I can't see that. Um, I can't. I can't sort of get that. How did black swans come to be black swans compared to the white swans in in the old world? That's amazing to me uh, because that's not. You know, do feathers get a tan? Um, all right, I don't understand that. Anyway, this indigenous um, person on the podcast was saying. Um, and correctly, just a second, I have to get a ticket on going into the car park. This indigenous person was saying that the laws, yeah, because people, uh, Rottnest Island was essentially a prison island, and indigenous people were just sent there on mass, you know, and usually the cream of the uh, hunters who were the Indigenous people, because there were men, essentially, who were responsible for going and getting food for the tribe, for the, you know, for the children and the women and all that sort of stuff. There were men, and that was their job, their responsibility, but they were all pushed off the land that was providing food. So they had to go and find food. So they would see a sheep, and they'd spear it, and they'd take it back and eat it, you know, because they'd been pushed away from all the all the food that they wanted, they could eat in the past, you know, their own lands, their own hunting lands, you know. Um, But Europeans didn't understand that form of ownership, you know, that that was their hunting... Lands they didn't uh, Europeans didn't understand that um, the indigenous people couldn't produce a title deed so they were trespassers you know and the um, and the indigenous woman on the podcast I was listening to was saying all this stuff and I said yep 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 get that get that I understand that I think uh, because that's what I've been chatting about in other podcasts previous to this one um, that European law didn't make sense to indigenous people. And indigenous law didn't make people any sense to European people. Okay? Um, So, when indigenous people broke European law, it, it simply did not compute. If there was a sheep there, and it needed to be eaten, then you eat it. You know, that was indigenous law. Especially if you've got responsibilities towards your family. Right? So, there's a sheep there. They have no concept, let's say, of this, um, sheep belonging to somebody else, it's there to be eaten, you know, um, it's on the land, I don't know what the hell it is, it's woolly, um, and it doesn't hop, but it's obviously meat, I'll eat it, alright, and, and then Europeans would come, and, you know, and the indigenous people were breaking no law that they knew, no law that they knew, they were breaking a law that they could not possibly know and that that really a a, a European-style law that they couldn't uh, marry up with their culture, you know, because laws and politics, laws come from culture. And even to this day in 2019, European laws are not an easy fit for Indigenous people. It would be like forcing me to follow Indigenous law I would really struggle, you know, and I would actually probably be an outlaw, outlaw, you know. Um, there are many cultures on this planet where, me as a European, if I was forced to follow those laws, I would half the time be appalled and wouldn't do it, you know. Look, go back in time, um, there, were some, there were things that happened in those cultures that I would consider atrocious atrocious you know like um throwing virgins down volcanoes you know and my ancestors did the same we had human sacrifice um you know we had witch burning and everything in my culture you know so even if i went back in time into my own culture i would be an outlaw well similarly and I, i would i would just be an outlaw you know i'd rather die you know than take part in those laws now similarly surely there's a parallel the other way with indigenous people you know and when um, so what would happen is someone would spear a sheep, he's doing the right and moral thing by spearing that sheep, he takes it home, and um, they all get fed that night, um, they're all half starving um, anyway, the poor, his poor family, the kids, you know, and two kids have starved to death already, you know, um, you know. I'm being a little bit emotive there, but you know, no I'm not, I'm actually just reporting on likelihoods, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat all this stuff, I don't sugarcoat anything either way. You know, I just um, insulted um, some indigenous tribes around the world who throw virgins down the volcano. So I'm not sugarcoating it either way. All right, I'm insulting... No, I'm not insulting everybody. I'm just saying I'm emptying my head because that's what I do. All right. I'm not trying to push what's in my head into your head. I'm just emptying my head and putting it out on the table. Now, um, so this woman on the podcast was saying that... The indigenous person was, fo- were f- people were following their laws, but then white people would come, obviously, because those people had broken white law, and um, would grab those guys and take them over to Rottnest Island. You know, so God knows what happened to their families after that. My goodness. Um, how would they get food after that? Oh, look, they probably died. Um, now, and, you know, if they hadn't been killed by disease anyway. You know. So there's a, there's a lot, there's a number of ways. To, you know, I often think, oh, how many people did a well, European-Australian slaughter? We kind of didn't have to slaughter a lot. Disease would have knocked off X percent. Oh, God knows what. I'll just say 60%, you know. Disease would have knocked off 60%. Um, just getting pushed off lands would have saw, seen off a lot of other mobs. You know, because even, like, koalas and possums and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, like if you push them out of their lands, if you push a, a koala away from uh, gum trees, well, they don't last very long, do they? Okay, so there's that. Um, right. Now, um, and same goes for me. You know, if I was pushed off land that I could farm, I would starve too. Right. Now, um, so she was saying And this is probably going to end up a minor point, but it's not about the destination, it's about the journey, my mum says. Um, And she said, we had been following our own laws, and she actually did say this, um, which have been unchanged for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and then suddenly the Europeans come here. And I thought, I just, you know, that little word unchanged, I, I, I pricked my ears up at that. Are you sure? How do you know? Maybe she does know. Maybe there's rock art that proves it. I don't know. But how would you know? You know, surely, did, did indigenous... And this is only a minor point. And, um, did indigenous people... Um, they would have had revolutions, wouldn't they? Their laws would have changed. If they went back 5,000 years ago, just 5,000... If they only went back 2,000 years ago, to the time of Jesus, you know... Maybe the laws were really different then. And... Um, who knows all right now i've I've landed at work, so I'll hop out of the car now uh, and i have i'm I'm back into indigenous Australia, which I'm glad about uh because in the previous super episode, fifteen hours long split up into eleven episodes or however many hours it was um i I got diverted across to an african American rapper and um, and Biggles the fighter pilot. You know, that whole episode was about that. I happen to talk about Indigenous Australia sometimes inside that episode, which went for seven... which went for for 11 episodes. Um, I happen to talk about... But it wasn't explicitly about Indigenous Australia. It was more to do with the whole black-white thing getting out of control. That's what that episode was about. And to some extent, to get it out of the way. Um, But now I'm back just chatting... And in that in that previous mega episode i was talking about how i have a personal um sort of l- wish you know and this arises from my logic more than my morals that it would be a good idea to try and create a new australia that is a marriage between european australia and and indigenous australia you know as a first port of call and then layering in um laws that match immigrants after that you know, I, I kind of think that's I don't think it's going to happen and I don't think it's even practical um, but um, I fear I fe- you know I would like to see it I don't know how it would play out. You know I don't know how you'd actually go about it. I don't think Europeans are, want want that you know um, the Constitution of Australia doesn't want that it, the Constitution of Australia is happy to recognize other sort of cultures you know or even that it takes us 120 years and we're still only just getting to debating whether we should even mention indigenous people in our preamble to our constitution you know there's a big debate on at the moment i don't get into current politics very much in these podcasts but yeah you know, there's two things on the table at the moment and european australians just as much as indigenous people heaps of european australians are on the radio all the time you know um passionately wanting a, a stronger voice aboriginal voice in parliament you know, but see, in parliament in the European system, but don't worry about that you know, they're wanting the right things and so there's, a, there's, one, there's one thing people are looking for and that's recognition in the constitution, and there's another thing that people are looking for is a voice essentially whereby Europeans I guess, um, have to shut up and listen while uh, they get instructed um, and Europeans, we Europeans are not very good at that, we're good at talking you know, I can talk and talk and talk, as you've noticed. Um and I'll keep talking, you know. And that is criticism of Europeans, but hey, you know, monkeys eat bananas and Europeans talk too much, you know. What can you do? Right. So, um so this, it's all happening at the moment, um all that sort of stuff. But I'm stepping back from the, the just the politics du jour, you know, the politics of the day. Um That's all going on. It's being debated in a much more sophisticated way than I'm sort of, you know, uh, chatting about. Uh, But I want to chat in more vague ways in these podcasts. I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of current politics. This podcast is one for the ages. It's bigger picture. It's stepping right back, and it's just emptying my head on what seems to be, would be a nice thing to happen, and a logical thing to happen when two mobs come together try and create a blend between the two of them, you know, something like that. Um, Well, that'll do for that episode. That seems long enough. And I'll get into work. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor,